Welcome to, I guess, our second annual holiday episode of 21st Century Boys. We've got at least one familiar customer with us. We've got Kirk Spencer joining us today. Merry Christmas, all. And one of my original, I think, touchstones for uh, comic book podcasting in general, I think he was one of the first people I ever recorded with, and uh, also a great friend and a great podcaster. We also have the Professor Allen with us today. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought Michael Bailey had joined the call <laughs> after that after that in- introduction. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be here. And with Kirk, no less. This is, this is a heck of a holiday party you're throwing here, buddy. I know. I'm calling this Two Wise Men and Kirk. <laughs> well, I, I don't. Okay, so I, I'm not the scholar. Uh, Alan, uh, Wiseman, are they actually? They're actually more in January, aren't they? When they actually show up, or is it well, even pro- spo- spoilers? But I'll talk about that when I get to my story. Okay? Ooh, okay, then never mind. Put a pin in it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll just be uh, two shepherds and a Kirk. How's that? That'll work. <laughs> He can be, somebody can be, did the shepherds have goats or was it just sheep? Mm-hmm. I'm probably the crossbreed of those. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kirk had a suggestion. We were going to talk holiday talk. And before we get into some books, I think we all have at least one story we're going to cover today. I'm Joe Crawford. I can't believe I didn't even bother saying that. Anyway, this is a little podcast that me and Jack usually do together. And uh, we're doing a little special today. Um so basically, Kirk, you want to lead off the conversation? You had a an idea of some things we might be able to talk about. Well, I was just curious if anybody had a comic book Christmas growing up. I, as an 80s kid, it was often Star Wars or G.I. Joe or Masters of the Universe. But there were a couple of Christmases where comic books came in, and it wasn't just the underoos, which were a wonderful gift. And the only time <laughs> as a kid I was excited to get clothes. But uh, there was one Christmas where... We had been traveling to meet my grandparents in Montgomery, Alabama, and there was a chain of used bookstores called Trade and Books. And they they had an early issue of All American Men of War, and I believe it was issue 25. And it was an astonishingly priced $3.50, and that was way out of my young kid budget. There was no way. That is way out of my budget. (laughs) You know, I was buying... I think I was buying quarter bin comics mostly at the time, and maybe I think cover prices were probably around 60 cents at this time. So I got a couple of new comics and a couple of dollars worth of quarter comics, and a $3.50 comic would have eaten my entire budget. I Oh, I wanted it, and I begged and schemed and offered to pull a Huckleberry Finn and paint fences if I could just get that comic book, and my parents were like, nope, if you don't have three fifty, you're not getting it. And so I, we returned home, and I was just brokenhearted. But some months later, on Christmas morning, lo and behold, under the tree, Santa had somehow gotten my letter and knew of my desire for that issue. And there was that early All-American Men of War. It was in lousy shape, but it, for a long time, for many years, that was the oldest war comic I had. So it was a wonderful, wonderful gift and one that, that thrilled me. And honestly, I, I forget about it sometimes because I think of – my best gift is the year I got an ad at, but that was a great year to get that book that I'd been longing for for all those months. What about you, Alan? Any any holidays where uh, they had Christmas uh, specifically had some comic book themes or comic books involved? The ones that jump out at me are the 
Batman and Superman from the 30s to the 70s, which I got for Christmas. I don't know if it must have been the same year or in consecutive years. And I'm trying to even figure out now, let's just say almost 50 years later. I mean, let's not try to pin it down to an exact. <laughs> right. It's been number, a little while. Number. It's been a while. I mean, I'm th- trying to think, were they in like the Sears catalog? I mean, you know, the, the, the wish book. Right. I'm just trying to figure out how my parents would have seen them to buy them for me. Now, those were some of the original that were actually in bookstores. Did, did yeah, you get? Yeah, maybe that, that, yeah, that, that. That that may have been it. I don't remember seeing them and requesting them. Okay, which is cool. I pointed them out on the Walden bookshelf and said, <laughs> "Oh my goodness, please tell Santa I want that." Because that's what I did with the Overstreet Price Guide. Was oh my, this tome of information must be mine someday. <laughs> yeah, I I I remember that uh, Superman was one of the first. Uh, comics, if you will, that I ever read because it was at our public library and that and bring on the bad guys, uh, not sons of origin, but the regular Marvel origins. And I can never remember what the, the female one is, what it's called, but I just remember those checking those out over and over and over. Funnily enough, uh, two of the, both of those I have received as Christmas presents well since I got the, uh, Superman one from my mother-in-law a couple of years ago and, um, the Batman I got from my cousin. We were at a bookstore and I don't know how much it is. I'm not the cheapest of people, but I'm fairly cheap as well. And it was just out of my comfort I'm... zone. So it was, I, it was probably like $30, $30. And I'm just like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to spend that much on it. And she bought it for me on the sly for Christmas. So, uh, nice. Yeah. That was your mother-in-law that got that? No, she, uh, my cousin got me the Batman one. My mother-in-law got me the Superman one. And that one, I just think I had it on Amazon or something, you know, because it's one I've wanted for years. Uh, and I just never have tracked it down. And I think I'd picked up the Shazam one for myself and my uh, eldest at uh, the used record store. And so I was, it got back on my radar. You know how you'll forget about something, then all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, yeah. And because of that Shazam uh, one, I don't even remember what it was called, 40s to the 70s, even though I don't think yeah. there's actually every decade in that one. But um, I just started thinking about it again. And so I asked for it, and boom, I got it. So that was my favorite present that year. But, uh, Very nice. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of comic book Christmases. Um, as it has been discussed on the show before. My dad and my sister have bought me comics over the years. My mom was not really a fan, uh, mostly because I think, you know, in her mind it was still 1954 and comics were <laughs> destroying the minds of the youth. So that was not something that she really appreciated or approved she didn't um, want her little Joe to be a d- juvenile delinquent. I know, right? I, I was just thinking of the fact they're about to make uh, what would probably be like the worst comic in the world to her um, uh, come out soon. I was looking at previews, and they've got the Dungeons and Dragons Saturday morning adventure. <laughs> and I was like, boy, that's that's a combo and really would not have cared for. But uh, I don't know. I've had a lot of comic book Christmases recently, but I would say – the one thing I remember is you were talking about the wish book. 
So um, the wish book, I don't remember how it worked. If Penny started sending a sales kind of like flyer after the wish book was done mm. for the season, and it would be the stuff that was on Markdown. <laughs> do you remember that? That does not ring a bell, but I would not put it past someone to do that. Okay. So this would have been pretty late on because uh, it would have been like late 80s. And I remember I and, you know, there were times I was able to cajole my mom into letting me spend my money on comics. Um, And one of them was the comic book collector's kit. And, um, you know, it would come with a, a box and it would come with. Just a, I don't remember how many comics now, maybe 25 or something. And that was a post Christmas pre birthday purchase that I, I remember doing and, uh, just being so excited and bewildered by some of the choices that were in there. Um, they had basically what became Vertigo titles in there. Uh, I remember there was an issue of Sandman and I thought, what a strange mm. comic to put in with you know, what could potentially <laughs> right. be going into like an eight year old's hands Christmas morning if it had been bought in a more timely fashion. But anyway, strange stuff. So Kurt, you know, as I, I think back about those thirties to the seventies books. Yeah. And <sighs> More time has passed since then right? than the era that they were covering, which was the entire history of comics. Right. Oh, I, 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 I tell people about that all the time. You know, it, it blows my mind that we are further away now from Spider-Man number one than as a kid I was from Superman number one. That kaboom yeah. makes my head wow. Pop. <laughs> yeah, that'll 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 make your brain your comic brain explode. Go, wait a minute, right? Because super, I mean, Spidey wasn't even wasn't much more than ten years old, I think, when I was born. So, and it, it, it and and as as I get older and still love music from the eighties, right? Which is now forty years ago. I'm starting to understand my parents. In the in the early seventies, listening to music from the thirties, right, which was awful and terrible and embarrassing, and oh yeah, that's me now. Oh yeah, uh, Nirvana is the equivalent of Chuck Berry to our parents. That's right. That's right. And, and that that's one of those you know, like, are you kidding me? And like, no, it, it really is. And um, because yeah, same thing. You know, as an eighties baby, um. Well, I guess 70s officially, but I I grew up in the 80s. Um, the, that music, so let's say I really started listening to pop music maybe like 79. The stuff from the 50s would have been much more recent than exactly. the stuff that I listen to exactly. now at this point. <laughs> yeah. So when you start doing that kind of like math, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I bought a, uh, like the greatest hits of the 60s CD as a teen in the 80s and I thought those songs were ancient. Right. And now I'm now I'm listening to the 80s stuff still, you know, 40 years later. And I'm telling my kids who who love the 80s music and I'll be like, "You know, I was like I was like 13 when this song came out. And I was watching <laughs> that video on MTV." And they're like, "Wow." <laughs> I think it really hit me when I was in um I don't remember if it was King Supers in Denver or a Hy-Vee here. And Hy-Vee's just the grocery store. I didn't know y'all have ever seen those. But um, R.E.M. was playing on 
the loudspeaker or whatever, the intercom system. And I was like, oh, my gosh, has it really gotten to that point? And, yeah, it has. <laughs> uh, that's anyway. classic rock now. It is. That's That, that just kills me. Because growing, growing up, classic rock, you know, was Leonard Skinner and right. – and uh, I don't know, Queen, even Queen, I feel like was still semi relevant when I was a little kid. They hadn't they weren't <laughs> totally gone by the time I was listening to music, I think would at least have the Flash Gordon soundtrack anyway. I don't know. It's fun stuff. But, yeah, as a grown up, I've been spoiled rotten with with uh, Christmases. My uh, wife has always, you know, pretty much been on top of it. If there was anything I could have ever dreamed of or if there was ever a big sale I literally am surrounded in this room I'm recording in by the showcases and essentials, uh, probably awesome. a good 50% that she's bought for me. So I will say that lucky. during during COVID, uh, Mrs. Quarterbin called up our, our LCS, World's Greatest Comics, mm-hmm. and just said, it was probably 2020, you know, the first the first COVID Christmas, and just said, you know, this is for... Is for Alan Middleton, is his wife. Can you just grab, you know, I don't know what she said, you know, 20 comic books from the dollar bin and a thing of bags and a thing of, you know, whatever it was. Right. And, 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 and did the, uh, you know, did the curbside pickup and there on, uh, under the tree, I had a nice, a nice, uh, surprise mishmash collection of comic supplies and comics. So that was definite wife extra credit that year. I love that. Oh, the one I always forget, and then I feel like a heel. Um, there was a manga that was not available, and it, I, as you guys know, the show is named Twenty First Century Boys, and it comes from a manga um, by Urasawa. Uh, Jack found an Italian edition of Billy Bat, which is probably never going to be translated to English for if no other uh, reason than uh, Jesus appears in it. And that typically is enough to keep publishers in America frightened away from it. Um, And I don't know that it's one of those that's uh, overly negative or anything, but, you know, like I say, anytime you bring in religion, often people will shy away from it. But he got the first volume in Italian for me. And he went through and translated the entire book for me for Christmas. And so that's that's always got to be one of my top ones, I would think, as well, just because that took a lot of effort. Yeah, that that's that's really amazing. <laughs> that's a like legendary Christmas gift right there. Right. And I will say that this one just happened. It was actually my birthday, uh, November of 2022. And. Uh, the story will be told on an upcoming episode of the Quarterbin podcast <laughs> with Kirk Spencer as guest. But uh, nice in the uh, in, <laughs> in the intro uh, to that episode, uh, the story is told of how via a, a wonderful employee discount. That's an important part of the story. Sure. Uh, and picked up the Dr. Doom Book of Doom omnibus for me. Which would be thirteen hundred pages, about seven pounds. It is a whopper. Nice. Well, I, I think it should be noted in case someone doesn't know, Professor Allen is actually a very large Doctor Doom fan. Um, as an unabashed uh, fan of Ben Grimm, somehow I still managed to get <laughs> along with him. 
he usually uh, gives the worst to read, which is which I'm okay with. That well, that Reed, is one thing. Reed really that, brought that on himself. So. <laughs> that they, that's one thing Victor and Ben can agree on. Reed's <laughs> kind of a jerk. I'm just saying. I mean, Sue agrees with that too. I mean, they all agree. It's so funny. Uh, getting a little off topic, but that's half the fun of these shows. Rereading um, the first. Oh gosh, what was it first? Because I just read the uh, Mighty Marvel Masterworks first two volumes, and. Um, how ambivalent Sue kind of was towards Reed in those early days where, you know, the whole thing with Namer is because she was not fully committed to Reed at that point when Namer came into the picture. So honestly, if they had decided to go with it, it wouldn't have even have been a thing because they were kind of like seeing each other, but kind of not exclusive. It was it was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She could have ended up with old Vic if he had played his cards right. But <laughs> guess, guess guess it wasn't to be. I always thought Susan Storm Richards Von Doom had a nice ring to it as a name. <laughs> Just throwing that out. <laughs> uh, I, I'd be okay with it. Um, so, who is our volunteer to go first today? And tell us about what wonderful holiday tale they did. Well, I think I have the newest one, so should I go first or last? Uh, you are also the most experienced, so... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to Kirk. Do you want to go now or you want Alan to roll? Well, let's defer to the professor's expertise and maybe right. we can get some tips on how we share our own issues. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you're uh, the, you're the lead off. You got to get everybody on base, Alan. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I am going with a, uh, a, a story from a comic from Christmas season 2016, the DC Rebirth holiday special, which despite its shocking cover price of nine ninety nine. I enjoyed. As a matter of fact, me and M enjoyed this comic so much that we covered it shortly after it came out on Darkness to Light episode ten. Self promotion accomplished. Boom, Kirk. <laughs> that is how you do it. Now, did uh, you did you pay full cover, or is this a shared expense between you and M? I, we must have gotten it. I, I think at the time we had a pull box. Okay. So we may have gotten it for 20% off. Nice. Okay. So you at least got a couple of bucks. Something. Off. Got something. Right. <laughs> so we are covering the last of the uh, primary stories in it. There is a little framing sequence, but the last of the significant stories. This is the Green Lanterns, plural, in The Epiphany. By Steve Orlando, Vita Ayala, V. Ken Marion, and Mick Gray. This story was once rated at CBR as DC's 10th best holiday story ever. So no pressure on you guys. <laughs> this, this is a, a follow-up or a continuation story, not really in terms of plot, but in terms of the characterization of our two leads. The rookie Green Lanterns, Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz, and their growing friendship. At this point in the Green Lanterns book, Simon had had Jess over to visit his family for one of their cultural holiday celebrations. And in this story, she is returning the awkwardness, friendship, favor, having him over on Twelfth Night 
January 6th for tamales and cookies because as very few people you know, these days know, again, not to get all darkness to light on you, but the 12 days of Christmas don't lead up to December 25th. They actually start on December 25th, which makes Twelfth Night or Epiphany, January 5th or 6th, as the holiday that commemorates the arrival of the three kings, the three wise guys, to <laughs> worship Jesus and bring their gifts. So this story is taking place on, and it can be called Twelfth Night or Epiphany or Three Kings Day, otherwise known as the final day of Christmas. And Jess's family follow the Mexican tradition of a gathering that includes a wreath-shaped cake or bread king's cake and hiding inside of a small figurine of the baby Jesus. And whoever gets that prize in their slice of cake, unless they break their tooth, they get good fortune. And that also means that they host the celebration next year. And yes, there are Aspects of that that are reminiscent of Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, um, there are similar aspects there. So uh, in this story, while the cooking and the baking is going on, the lantern's rings go off with a message of alien incursion. Duty calls and the Three Kings Day feast looks like it will have to wait. Jessica and Simon take off. And what they face is really the standard sci-fi trope of an alien testing humanity, with the minor difference that the, this trio of aliens who have arrived sort of out in the deserts of a sandy locale to do the testing, they're all riding vaguely camel-shaped beasts of burden, and they're all clad in vaguely robe-like outfits, wearing vaguely crown-shaped items on their heads. Did I mention there were three of them? Because, yeah, there are three of them. And so Simon and Jess have to go through the rituals of suffering and sincerity and integrity to prove that Earth is blah, 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 blah. And like on Star Trek, you can't fight these folk. You just have to play the game. So the first test. Simon and Jess are each returned to the moment where the ring found them, which for Simon was Gitmo, and for Jessica, locked in her apartment with crushing agoraphobia. And in a nicely laid out page, we see parallel panels of each of them wrestling with this. Simon is adamant that he can endure this again, but you better not have sent Jessica back there. You hear me? And this is an important moment of growth. These are the classic mismatched buddy cops, the pair that we've seen a million times. And here, you know, after all the needling that they do of each other, we have Simon understanding Jess and defending her and sticking up for him. And again, independently, they each accept responsibility for the ring and the pain and suffering and stress that they now know it will bring. First test passed. Trial of sincerity commences with the three wise aliens asking them to decide which of them is better to serve the core. Who is the true GL of Sector 2814? And while Jess imagines that Simon will put himself forward as the most deserving, 
In fact, he tells the aliens that they can't pit the two of them against each other. We're both Green Lanterns. We're a team. It's both of us or no one. Second test. Passed. The third test, well, that one's a fight to the death with a mean-looking purple construct alien thing. Simon rushes in and completely gets his head handed to him. (laughs) And sort of following along, developing one of the ongoing themes of their series, just needing to overcome her lack of confidence in her constructs, which has been a struggle for her, her anxiety issues. But here, when the chips are down, when her partner is down, the aliens give her a choice. She can withdraw and live or fight to the death. And with a, uh, I, um, I guess I'm doing this. She chooses to continue. Boom. Third test passed. They are deemed victorious. The aliens have judged Earth and found it worthy. Until they return again, they offer us the gift of tomorrow. And the aliens beam themselves away. Our young lanterns dial up Hal on the lantern phone, who report that there has been no alien activity detected. And to be honest, he wonders if they've hit the last of the spiked eggnog. Back at Casa de Cruz, the king's cake is cut and served. Simon and Jessica engage in some character development, some relationship building. And Simon discovers in his piece, the baby Jesus, he has won the prize, the prize being hope. The end. Yeah. Once, once again, the guest star has stolen the show. Uh, <laughs> that, that happened last year. Sheehan had a really, really good one last year for us. It was the, <laughs> it was the post-crisis Supergirl dead man story. Oh, oh, come on. That's not fair. Oh, I know. And nobody's going to live up to that one. So <laughs> I was such a huge fan of, um, the two of them. I got yeah. into it way too late. Uh, I was, you will like this story. I was at, uh, I hope you got them cheap. I did. It was, yes. uh, Franco and Balthazar's, uh, all yeah, ah, right. in, um, in beautiful downtown Skokie. I, I picked up, uh, a big chunk of their run. And, and this was, it was posthumous at this point. They, yeah. the series was already dead. And I was like, oh man, I wish I'd been reading this when it was coming out. Cause I really liked Jessica and Simon. They were, they were a good combo. Yeah, I, I, I was a faithful reader, uh, me and M of the Green Lanterns title. And, you know, Simon, he was, what does our buddy Greg Arujo say? He was fine. Right. But I love, I love Jessica. I, yeah, I, Jessica steals the show. Definitely. I think it's a real shame that aside from some superhero girls appearances, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the two of them have basically faded away since the rebirth era ended, you know. Yeah. Since, since, since the end of this book, I don't know that you've seen hide nor hair of either one of them, at least, you know, in a mainstream comic. Well, you never know. I thought Kong was gone for good, and I think right. they're bringing him back for action uh, now. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I love the 
what was that? Was it just New Superman? Was that the name of that title? That's r- right, right. Yeah, that was a great one. And um, I thought it, he was gone forever. But, you know, you never know. They could come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The New Superman has a story in this in this Rebirth special. I was thinking just the same thing, just looking at the table of contents. I said, oh, yeah, there are, there are a couple people here who may have faded away for some time. But, right. In, but like you said, in comics, you are never – you. If if you if if you if you're a viable intellectual property, you right. are never gone forever. Well, I don't know, and not to be cynical, uh, but you're you're a business scholar, so you might know this as well. Uh, every so often, don't the lesser characters kind of get trotted out just to keep the copyright? Yeah, I know that used to be the case. Okay. I, I I don't know if that is still necessary, but it okay. it it probably is. And yeah, that that is why every what, what, whatever the magic number is, every thirteen years or something, right? You yeah, know, every, every everyone shows up on that's right on 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 one panel of one special annual somewhere that right. they should just call the uh, trademark uh, reclamation annual. Right. <laughs> well. It I would, would, I would it, probably have a lot of features that I like in that. Oh, yeah, yeah most definitely. Well, it wouldn't be a Christmas without Archie. So what have we got in store for us, Kirk? This is Life with Archie, issue number 33, cover dated January 1965. It's got a really cool split cover advertising two great co-features. You have Archie falling through the ice saying, Help! As Archie has the narrowest escape of his life. In... A Christmas Tale. And in a more lighthearted feature, Archie gets the lion's share of the laughs in Me Tarpan, You Jane. And this time, Betty gets to scream out, Help! But we're going to focus on our lead tale, which is our Christmas story. It is a Christmas tale. Archie sits at the editor's desk of the school paper. Betty and Veronica stand on each side of him, arguing over him, screaming at each other. Archie jumps up, telling the girls to stop everything that he is going to do it, which leads to Reggie arguing with Archie now. Archie has decided that he and Jughead are going to the forest to cut down a large tree for a benefit that Mr. Weatherby has allowed them to hold in the school. It's to collect toys for the needy children. Archie figures that the bigger the tree, the more presents people will bring to put under it. After Veronica promises all of next month's dates to Archie for doing this good deed, Reggie suddenly gets interested and makes it a competition to see who gets the biggest tree. Arch and Jug head into the forest, leaving a trail to find their way back. Arch uses a scout trick to make a notch in the tree, but Reggie is showing up with Betty, who has teamed up with him to help prevent this month of dates from happening, and Reggie begins making notches in all the trees, hoping that Jughead and Archie will get lost in the forest. Soon, Betty and Reggie realize that they have gotten themselves lost in their haste to make Archie and Jughead get lost. They have failed to make their own trail and are now going to die in the woods. Archie and Jughead find a tree and begin to head out only to realize they are lost. Archie uses an old scout trick and follows a nearby river downstream. Archie, the real smart guy that he is, is walking on the ice carrying this heavy tree and falls through the frozen ice and disappears. Betty and Reggie nearby hear Jughead scream out and find him alone. He's sitting down crying. He tells them Archie is gone. 
Archie has been under the ice for five minutes. Suddenly, Reggie jumps up, holding his foot. It's been struck by Archie holding his tomahawk, chopping up from under the ice. He finds his way out of the ice and tells them that he used his old scout trick of pressing his nose against the ice and using the air just above the waterline. Gang heads back to town with their tree, seemingly unfazed by Archie's near-death experience. This was not the light-hearted Christmas tale that I was expecting as uh, Betty colludes with Reggie to try to make everybody die in the forest. And <laughs> Archie nearly freezes to death. Falling through the ice, he spends more than five minutes under the waterline and then gets in his convertible jalopy and drives home with a tree in the back. But uh, <laughs> it's still the 60s Archie, so the art is beautiful. The, the girls are gorgeous, yeah. and it's just a fun tale, despite the kind of darkness. <laughs> you know, generally, story. It, generally speaking, Life with Archie was the more adventurous title. It Words was. right out of my mouth. Yep. Yeah, I, that's I where you would find that. Though, that type of story in, yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten that when I chose this tale because I was like, a lighthearted Archie Christmas tale <laughs> would just be perfect. And then Archie is nearly dies, and Betty is, you know, a, a scheming homicidal maniac willing to let this guy <laughs> she loves die rather than Veronica have a month of dates. So yeah, so, life with Archie was the one where it, it was almost like it was the very special episode of Archie every month because you know it would be like Betty gets kidnapped by maniac hillbillies, you know, into the swamp. Also, they would have the weird stuff happen in those, I think. Yes, definitely. That's amazing, though. You know, as, <laughs> as, 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 as you are recounting that, Kirk, I am pretty sure I've read this because I've read all the Archie digital collections and all of those things. But then again, it could be that I've read ten other stories that are vaguely similar. Sure. You know, that have some similar aspects to that. I mean, I've probably read one where they go into the forest to cut a tree. There's probably one where Betty is scheming. There's another one where Reggie is, you know, it's like all of these elements. I don't know that I've read them all in one story. So it's well, possible I haven't read that story. Like <laughs> 80 years I, of Archie, there's only only so many plot points you can come up with where exactly. the two girls compete exactly. for this red-headed doofus. <laughs> True, our words have never been spoken. <laughs> I remember there was there, there was one collection that I read. It was not it was not a Christmas one. But I can't remember what it, it was a, a summer, you know, summer camping or something like that was the theme. I, the great thing about Archie books is that Again, there have been so many stories over so many years. You can come up with any, you know, any theme. Right. And, and, and they can, they can put together 90 to 145 pages on that theme. But there was one where in two, two consecutive stories from like, you know, you could tell from the art, you know, 30 years apart. And there's a, there's a scene where their canoe gets, you know, falls off the top of the roof and goes, you know, of 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 the jalopy or falls out the back of the jalopy and goes, you know, scooting down the streets of Riverdale with them running behind it. I said, wait a minute, I just read this literally two minutes ago <laughs> or twenty five years ago, depending on the, I mean, you have, you know exact scenes <laughs> repeat, not just concepts, but I, I love that. I mean, that's what that. That's why Archie is so comforting. Although sometimes, like you said, 
Betty will surprise you sometimes. I'm just saying. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't expecting her to join with Reggie and and they were going to leave the the boys stranded in the woods overnight and it's frozen, you know, the it's cold enough where the river is frozen. How are they going to survive in just their jackets, you know? <laughs> They're lost in the woods and to hunt down the tree and we'll just leave them overnight and then then we'll win the competition and we'll come back and get them tomorrow. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Come back and find the bodies, you mean?" Yeah. <laughs> So that's the difference between an, an Archie book and a red circle book. I think that's, right. that's how you could tell. Yeah, this was like modern Archie where <laughs> an Archie has to make a deal with Satan to survive in the woods. Kirk, I, I, was it bingo where you found one that was kind of dark, too, for retro one time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, it, you have a knack for finding what are supposed to be kind of innocent teen characters in like really bad situations. Yeah, I think it was Leave It to Binky and his. Oh, rival, that's what it was. His right, rival right, was right. setting up traps that would kill him right. if, if they had been successful. I'm like, wow. I realize we want a little, you know, mischievous action in your rivalry, but maybe attempted homicide is not the way to go. That's great. Well, I got a real quick question before I jump into mine. Uh, one thing that always makes me think of Christmas outside of Christmas music is the different things that we grew up having. Um, in our stockings, we always got oranges, a slew of nuts that as a kid I wouldn't eat, uh, and those big, thick, <laughs> probably almost the size of a quarter around candy canes that you would have to literally chip off and break with a hammer in order to enjoy that were like a foot long. (laughs) (laughs) So so what did you get in your stocking growing up, Alan? Well, somewhere along the line, I don't think that this was my family, though I've been, you know, I've been married long enough. Who can can know? It was three decades ago. I don't know. But I, I, I think this tradition came through my wife's side of the family. And that is that if you've been good, the bottom of the, st- the, you know, the, the toe of the stocking is an orange. Nice. Yeah, we what always if, had an orange. Yep. What if you haven't been good? I mean, <laughs> just asking for a friend. Well, well, Kirk, I will let you know if that ever happens. <laughs> All right, Kirk, what did you get in your stocking? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because as I'm driving to the post office to mail our property tax bill and taxation is theft, kids, um, <laughs> I was it just out of the blue. My brain was like, you know, I remember as a kid getting the McDonald's gift certificates as a kid in my stocking. And oh, sure. Somehow, yeah. Somehow that was a big deal. Yeah. And what a, what a rip off that was, because I realized I was a kid, so I wasn't going to drive to McDonald's and use my, you know, 50 cent gift certificate. <laughs> And if we went to McDonald's as a family anyway, my parents were already paying. So right, I don't know why and, I got such a thrill out of the uh, the McDonald's gift certificates. But and probably like, if you read the fine print, they expired on February twenty eighth or something. Yeah, <laughs> I would not surprise me if there was an ex- near expiration date on some of those. Yeah, because I, I remember that was a thing when I was at Blockbuster. Is bec- there is now a law that uh, you can't have expiration dates on gift cards because of that exact reason. Um, and it changed uh, during my career at Blockbuster, where we had to uh, 
quit doing the thing where like every month that it's expired, like it debits like a dollar or something. But, uh, yeah, they quit doing that. But yeah, in the olden days, yeah, gift, gift certificates would straight out expire and that free, tur- free cheeseburger would be no good in March or whatever. Yeah. And also we you know one of the, uh, one of the, the traditions currently in the, uh, in the quarter bin mansion is that you don't get the gift card from the same place if you haven't used last year's gift card up yet. So often, so often Thanksgiving to Christmas is running through. Uh oh, anyway, I still got this. I, th- I think I still got nine dollars at Firehouse Subs, and I think there's <laughs> this one. For- yeah, I guess I'm swinging my Best Buy today. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now think of a treat. Uh, we had for Jesus's birthday, we would have fruitcake, which I abhorred and would not eat. I never got in more trouble than the one year I said, "Well, I don't want any Jesus cake." Um, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> But the the two that really stand out, well, actually, I'll throw in three. Um, the no-bake cookies were always one of my favorites. Chex mm-hmm. Mix made by my dad because he would make sure to put peanuts and pretzels. If mom made it, it would just be the Chex Mix only. And I don't know if anybody remembers these. I was talking about these at work the other day. They were red and white, just like a real candy cane, where you would take the white, and it was basically like a sugar cookie, and then the red would have, like, the crushed up peppermint in it and it, you would twine them together and bake them and mm, so it was like right. candy cane cookies so like those are the three treats that i always think of as childhood is every year we would have the candy cane cookies the no bake cookies and then like i said hopefully that year dad would be the one to make the checks mix but well homemade Chex mix is I, the best yeah absolutely yeah like, again again you can to the store ball yeah, because you, you you can figure out the mix. Do you want the spicy check mix? Do you want a little extra cheddar? Do you want the pretzel? Do you want the nuts? Like you said, that's genius. You know, you mentioned you mentioned fruitcake, and I grew up thinking, man, my dad really loved fruitcake, and now I realize my dad really liked brandy. Pretty sure fruitcake was a brandy delivery system. You pour it on, you slice a bit. Pour that on, and then you'd light it up. So, of course, we kids, we loved, we loved the flambe version. Right. You know, we love, we love seeing the alcohol uh, burn off. We we like the flame. I'm pretty sure my dad just that was his excuse to get an extra drink in. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Well, now in his defense, he might have just been a pyromaniac and enjoyed the fire. Yeah, that's true. That would be better, I guess. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> What what about you, Kirk? What what treats make you think of childhood Christmas? Well, I always would get a box of chocolate covered cherries. The, the you know the cordial cherries. Those were, mm-hmm. and there would usually be either a box of turtles or perhaps a pack of turtles mm, right. in my stocking. And for and that was like the only time of year I would get turtles. That was like a special occasion candy, not something you got at the curb store. And right. So I see turtles, I think Christmas. Uh, my mother and my sister were both bakers, so we always had homemade cookies for Santa. Nice, right. And, of course, they were extra for us. But, uh, you know, I don't remember any Chex Mix or anything, but I, I sure do think of turtles and cho- homemade chocolate chip cookies at Christmas time. Talk about chocolates. Did either one of you ever have that they were called cream drops? And they were like the best things in the world, but boy, you could eat like four of them and they're so rich you couldn't eat anything for like an hour. <laughs> Anybody ever have those? 
I don't I, remember those. The name does not ring a bell. No. Okay, so they're 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 shaped kind of like uh, almost like a bell, and they're just full of like uh, just white cream and ooh, they're rich, but they were mm. good. Nice. Uh, so, Alan, what about you? Any cookies or treats growing up other than the flaming fruitcake? <laughs> Uh, my, my, my mom was both an excellent cook and an excellent baker. And so we got all that we get, you know, got the, the shaped, you know, Christmas, uh, you know, sugar cookies, the one shaped like a bell and an ornament and an angel, you know, so we get Santa. So we had, uh, we had all of those. Uh, the no bakes that my mom made ended up there, ra- you know, round, um, round chocolate. Right. With with sugar on the outside, little uh, orange in there, really uh, excellent. Uh, those are about the only cookie, quote unquote, that I make now because they don't involve the the oven, which really right. helps me out a lot. <laughs> uh, all right, let's roll into the last one, and I'm going to do this digitally. So fingers crossed that DC Unlimited doesn't crash on me because if it does, you're going to hear a weird pause while I run downstairs and frantically try the comic. <laughs> So this is uh, going to be from an issue, I believe it was issue number 42 of the Super Friends, and it's the backup feature. It's the Wonder Twins. It's called A Christmas with Everything. It's E. Nelson Bridwell writing. Penciler is Romeo Tangle, Tangal, excuse me. And uh, everybody's favorite, Vince Coletta, is the inker. So let's see what's going on with the Wonder Twins. So... It starts out, they're looking at this really weird tree with some really weird ornaments, and they're talking to a Professor Nichols, and they're in their secret identities. And I don't know if I never had read any of the Zan and Jaina issues of Wonder Twins, but this really threw me, because I'm like, who are these characters? And, well, it's John and, um, what is her name? I guess Joanna. And I don't know. I don't know why they wouldn't have just come up with something a little easier but anyway why not just Jana? i don't know anyway so they're looking at these trees uh that uh professor nichols and that name is going to be very important later on has created so they decide they're going to go off for a walk and they're they're in downtown gotham because you know nothing happens in dc that's apparently not in gotham even back in the 70s <laughs> so they're heading out and uh the professor says don't forget to wrap up well it's winter time and I'm going to have to remember her name's Joanna. That's so weird. And what was his name again? I've already forgotten. John, John and Joanna. Yeah. Oh, man, I am so glad I wasn't the only one completely confused by that. I, it keeps throwing me every time I see I it. I didn't remember they had secret identities. I didn't either. Now, I had only... No, you know, you learn something new every day, even right. at my advanced stage. <laughs> I had read the... Um, showcase and unfortunately you know that they quit publishing before they got the entire series uh collected so i've read the showcase and i know it had like um was it wonder dog and uh and whoever the first two uh non-powered characters that kind of just hung out marvin and wendy marvin and wendy yeah yep and mm-hmm. um, it had those issues, and I think it had some of the Zan and Jaina, uh, but I, I definitely don't remember this blonde-headed duo that they, they came up with, but whatever. Uh, so they're heading out, and they're going through downtown Gotham, and uh, God, keep on to forget it, call him Zan again. Anyway, John goes, it looks like we wandered into a poorer section of town, and Joanna's, 
I wonder how the people here celebrate this Earth holiday. Christmas? You know, because she has to say it strangely because she's, you know, an alien. So, uh, And the mother is uh, seen in a doorway calling for her son. And Joanna asks her, what's going on, ma'am? Can we help? Maybe. This son of mine, he's a good boy, but tonight, for some reason, he takes in his head to go off without telling me where or why. He went that way. I can't go after him because of the younger kids. He's wearing a checked jacket. And John tells her, well, we'll see if we can catch up with him. So we see next the kid in the checkered coat. Uh, he looks like he's probably a teenager. Let's hope so, because he's wandering around the bad side of Gotham. So let's hope he's not too young. But he's thinking, I know mom is worried about me, but I couldn't tell her what I have in mind. I might not have enough money. Wow, speaking of money, and he finds a billfold. And, of course, your head goes to thinking he's going to keep all this money because he's got kind of a devilish look in his eyes as he's going through the cash in it. But he sees the man's name inside, Joseph Wiswell. He said, I wonder where he could be. Hey, maybe it's that guy just two feet ahead of me. So guy's not even uh, half half a block away from him, and he's already dug through the wallet, pulled out all the cash, pulled out the ID, but whatever, suspension of disbelief. So he goes up to the fellow and says, are you Mr. Joseph R. Wiswell? Why, yes, but how did you know? Well, this is yours, sir. Well, I'll be. There's a big hole in my jacket. Now, that's really great. Be in the poor part of Gotham, and you're dropping thousands of dollars out of the side of your jacket, but whatever. Why is this rich guy over there walking around in the poor part of Gotham anyway? But, okay. He was looking for Bruce Wayne's parents. Apparently. <laughs> he says, take all this money here. One moment, lad. No, no time now, sir. Merry Christmas. So the kid runs off. So it actually turns out this kid's probably going to be a decent fellow. So then uh, Joanna and John show up. God, I wish they just changed to Zan and Jane. It'd be so much either. Uh, so he has a checkered jacket, you say. Well, he found my wallet I lost with a thousand in cash, handed it to me, and wouldn't even wait for a thank you. Well, not two minutes later, Trandles, come back, you naughty dog. And there's a lady chasing after her poodle down the road. Once again, kind of fancy looking for supposed to be the rough side of town, but whatever. Uh-oh, looks like the pooch's leash broke. Hold it, Traddles. Wait for your owner. And he snatches the the poodle, and he hands it over to him. Oh, thank you for going through all that trouble. And, of course, he goes off. Uh, jo- Dang it. I'm never going to get this right. Joanna and John <laughs> run into her, and she says, They could have just gone Zoe. They could have gone something. Zoe. Something. <laughs> something. It's just a tongue twister. What a good boy. If not for him, heaven knows what would have happened to my poor Traddles. He went down the street. Let's go, Joanna, on the double. Whatever Sammy's up to, he has time to stop and help people and return all that money. Would hardly mean he's doing anything dishonest. Well, wouldn't you know it? Something bad's about to happen again. So there's a kid skateboarding in the middle of the road, and there's a guy slipping on ice. And so, oh, I can't control the car. And uh, he jumps in front and snatches the kid. Hey there, young fella. Don't you know it's dangerous to play in the middle of the street? I saw it all. You saved my little boy. Mister, you need to get snow tires or chains or something. I've been putting it off, but no longer. Well, thank goodness he decided to, like, take care of, like, his car because he almost killed somebody. You know, that was good. And, of course, they run in seconds later. We're looking for a teenage boy in a check jacket. He's a hero. He saved my son from being run over and prevented an accident that would have ruined my life. Um, 
So, what is he up to? They finally get caught up to him. This kid saved a dog. He saved a kid. He's saved a man from the guilt of having murdered someone. He's given somebody a wallet. They see him at a, a Christmas tree uh, lot. Hi, I bet you're Sammy. That's right. But how did you know? Your mother told us about you. She's worried because you ran off with no explanation. Aw, oh, jeez. I just wanted to surprise the family. I hope the money was enough to buy a tree, but no such luck. Well, maybe I can buy a few small presents for him. I think maybe his folks will get a surprise. I get what you mean, sis. Finally, we're back at Professor Nichols, and we're going to get to see some real alien superheroing action. So, Professor Nichols is going to, of course, play St. Nicholas, and Zan turns into shape of a snowstorm, and she turns into form of a Kryptonian Tiat deer. Why couldn't she just turn into a reindeer? That's the one thing I didn't get. She, well, she's not familiar with the earthly Christmas custom. Oh, that's right. But funnily enough, a Kryptonian Tiak deer looks kind of like a reindeer with a weird nose and, I don't know, kind of like submariner wings on his ankles. It's kind of strange. Maybe that way they could actually fly because real reindeer – oh, sorry, spoilers. Never mind. Kids, if you're listening, reindeers do fly. Ignore me. Like all Kryptonian creatures, I have superpowers on Earth and can fly. And I'll go ahead and set the scene. So he's basically a big cloud, and he's making snow. So the family's looking out the window back at Sammy's house. Look, it's snowing. Oh, I'm so happy. We're going to have a white Christmas after all. When they go outside to get a better look, why, it's only snowing around our house and nowhere else. Amazing. I never saw anything like it. Oh, look up there. It's Santa Claus. Hooray! <laughs> He's coming here. I knew it. It's a miracle. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Santa, Santa, did you bring us something? Can I pet your Kryptonian? Okay, she doesn't say that. She says, can I pet your reindeer? <laughs> uh, so then they're back in the house, and Professor Nichols has brought the weird little Charlie Brown weird Christmas tree with the edible ornaments on it. It's so bizarre. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it, Like I say, it looks kind of like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree with ornaments on it, but they're edible. So whatever. And you got, oh my gosh, I love the, there's a picture of a kid just going hog wild on a, on a turkey leg, which still has both of its legs attached. So I guess they had maybe like, you know, on their planet, they have a three legged turkey that they brought with them. I don't know. (laughs) So they go off to play with their presents. And uh, Sammy says, the snow deer the snow and the deer are the wonder twins. He's wise to us. We might as well change back. Powers deactivate. Look, I know we're poor, but we can't accept charity, not even from superheroes. Sammy's right. We only take what we earn. But Sammy did all those things today. The toys were from a store owned by Mr. Wiswell, the man whose wallet he recovered. The lady who caught the dog manages a department store. The parents of the child he saved run a supermarket. The driver has a clothing store. But all I did, I didn't do that for a reward. Ho, 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 no, you acted in the spirit of Christmas and him whose birth we celebrate. That is why you deserve these things. Santa is right, son, and we're proud of you. The end. So. Uh, Joe, 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 this is really, this is really touching that (laughs) this year you would invite me on to join you on the show. For the story where the hero's a professor. I know. <laughs> so that is so, because, you know, usually we're evil supervillains and stuff. So this is really meaningful. Thank you, Joe. 
You're very welcome. And, and, and the professor was doubly a hero because he also invented the magic tree that you can eat the ornaments off of. Boom. Which, hello. Right. So that was our holiday platter for all of you. I hope everybody enjoyed getting to hear the various stories today. So um, I want to run through and let everybody advertise the shows they're on or the platform that you can reach them at. So first off, we'll do our uh, our itinerant professor. If you could tell us uh, <laughs> what you do, where you're at, and where to listen to you and how to reach you. And uh, and also, Joe, excellent voice work in that story. Seriously. Good Thank job. you. I'm a little hoarse. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, it's always good to chat with you, Joe. And Kirk as well. Two of my bestest buddies on the Internet. That's awesome. <laughs> my holidays are made. Uh, most of my podcasting work can be found through the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. That's for my shows, the Quarterman Podcast, Doom Speak, and the monthly comics reading journal can be found. And me and them have a side project we started six, seven years ago now, which I did give a shout out to beforehand, Dorkness to Light, where we talk about the religious and theological content and themes that arise in comic books and pop culture. Over there, we've covered the specter. Star Wars, Babylon 5, properties like that. uh, Merry Christmas to all. Happy New Year and happy Epiphany. And Kirk, where can people uh, listen to you, hear you other than this show, which you're on ever so often? Well, you're always welcome to take me out to dinner. But uh, (laughs) you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Big Five Army. That's B-I-G, the number five, A-R-M-Y. And I'm the modern-day Robert Colt, just looking to guest star on anybody's podcast that will have me. Well, I'm always excited when we have you. And, Professor, uh, I had threatened you earlier. Kirk has already done an origin episode for us, so we may have to hit you up after the new year. If you're ever interested to come and uh, divulge your comic origins, uh, you're always welcome to come to the show to do that. That would be great fun. Lovely, lovely. We've had a a few of those episodes, and those are always some of my favorite ones. But uh, you can always reach out to us. Uh, This is the 21st Century Boys podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at 21STCENBOYS. I am at IWasJoe on Twitter. The kiddo who is not with us today, he is at N underscore garlic on Twitter as well. So I want to wish everyone, whatever holiday you're celebrating, happy holidays, happy new year. And I hope all of you have a wonderful night. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.